0: The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 125, verses 1 through 5, a pilgrimage song. The people who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, never shaken, lasting forever. Mountains surround Jerusalem. That's how the Lord surrounds his people, from now until forever from now. The wicked rod won't remain. In the land given to the righteous, so that they don't use their hands to do anything wrong. Lord, do good to people who are good, to people whose hearts are right. But as for those people who turn their own twisted ways, may the Lord march them off with other evildoers. Peace be on Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello,
1: my name is Matthew. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians four, sixteen through 18. So we aren't depressed, but even if our bodies are breaking down on the outside, the person that we are on the inside is being renewed daily. Our temporary minds that can be seen, but on the things that can't be seen, are eternal.
2: The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Cor. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 23:44 through 46. It was now about noon and darkness covered the whole earth until about three o'clock. The sun stopped shining. Then the curtain in the sanctuary tore down the middle. And crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. After he said this, he breathed for the last time the gospel of the Lord.
1: Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. Father God, thank you for a day that's called today, for the opportunity to come and to seek you, to find you when we seek you with all our hearts. So we pray as we worship, as we look into your word, that we would find you in truth and freedom and healing and redemption and love and care and all all of who you are would take effect on us in this place so here we are god have your way to your glory in jesus name amen amen, amen. please take your seats y'all And it is good to see you all. My name is Evan, if you don't know me. Uh, I've been around on staff here for 10 years, which is nuts. And I've missed you for the last two weeks. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I've missed you for the last two weeks because I was on vacation in the Pacific Northwest and North Washington on the coast. And the world got all higgledy piggledy on us when that happened because I got a tan in Washington State. And my lawn got watered in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> and the Nuggets are gonna win the championship tomorrow. So I like, I, I just. <laughs> the whole world is just crazy. It's higgledy piggledy. It's cattywampus. It's whatever you would say. But it's good to be back. It really is. I have missed you. And it's good to be together. Uh, 9 30, be together, beat the heat. Man, did we beat that heat! We can't even see that here. That's how much we beat it by, because we are prepared people. (laughs) We're we're going through this summer, and Jason Jackson kicked it off last week. He is uh, with the team in uh, Guatemala this week on missions, and so that's why he's not here. So I get to bring the word. So we're going through a sermon series uh, this whole summer on the Psalms of Ascent. So say that really clearly if you're the preacher. Psalms of Ascent. And what these are is in the fifth book of the Psalms, the Psalms is broken up into five different, chunks, five books is what it'll say. Uh, Towards the very end, the fifth book, there's a number of these Psalms of Ascent. And what they are is a tradition that the Jews had that when they were taking a a pilgrimage to to Jerusalem, to their capital, to their center of worship, uh, that they would sing these Psalms as they were ascending because Jerusalem was built on a hill. And as they were ascending up that hill, these were the songs that was their liturgy. It was their, it was their chorus. It was the thing that the community would learn these psalms, and it was their tradition to sing these songs as they were ascending up. And so today we are looking at Psalm 125, which Mary so eloquently read. I could listen to Mary read scripture all day long. Um, and we're looking at Psalm 125. It is, it is a rather brief psalm. Uh, It's only five verses, and it hits mainly on a theme I think that you could summarize in in the idea of security, both our security in God as God's people and and the security that we have that wicked and evildoers won't stand. The wicked, the evildoers, that the judgment will come, that they will not last forever, but that we are secure, that we uh, will be safe in God and that he surrounds us like he surrounds the mountain of Jerusalem. And and I I love this Psalm to say that we're, we're secure, we're secure people. God has secured us. And then there's this old joke that Christians don't say lies. We just sing them. Um, <laughs> because we could say we're secure and then we all walk around with our insecurities, right? Like, and we all act out those insecurities and we all have them and we feel them and we act about them. We relate insecurely uh, and we worship insecurely. And, and I want to address that, that, that in the midst of a psalm that declares and cries out and praises God for the fact that he has made us secure in him that we don't always we don't always live that way. We don't always take that to heart. We don't always get that in us. And so I want to I want to talk through this psalm and know that that when we say that we trust in God that he's our security, look at why why is that sometimes not true in the way that we live? And then in what light, in what frame can we, can we turn and have that be true for us? And in the end to that question, my reply is gonna, it's gonna hinge, on, hinge on this, that our security that this psalm is referring to is found in God, both presently and eternally. That the security that we have, if we were to ever espouse that God surrounds me, he has made me secure, I am secure in him, that if that is true only in him, it is true because of his presence with us now, what he has done, his presence with us. And it is true because of an eternal timeline that we live in because we have been saved into eternal life. So we're gonna look at the text. We're gonna start in verse one and two. That's where we'll spend most of our time. And then we'll, we'll follow to the rest of the end of the Psalm there. So if you have your Bibles, open it up or, or turn there in your phones, uh, but then turn it on airplane mode so you don't get distracted, okay? So 125 verse one, the people who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, never shaken, lasting forever. Mountains surround Jerusalem. That's how the Lord surrounds his people from now until forever from now. And there's a a description that we, those who trust in the Lord, are never shaken. And yet, I think we experience shakenness. Shakenness in our emotions and our feelings and internal shakenness. Shakenness in our relationships and what that causes within us. And I would say shakenness in our circumstances, that we live in circumstances in our lives and the things that we can't control that are around us. And we go, this seems pretty shaken. So what do we do with that? Our shaken happens internally and externally, but really it comes down to looking at it eternally is how we can understand this psalm and live into its truth. So I want to start with the internal shaken, the idea of an emotional shaking. The fact that we could say, we're not shaken, and yet we go, ooh, something is off. My mind is spinning. My heart is racing. There's a situation I'm in, and it's causing anxiety. We have fear. We are full of doubts. We, are, we, we have depression. We wake up one day happy as can be, and the next day, we have no idea maybe why, but it is an off day. There are so many things that shake us, and I I wanna look at this idea of emotional shaking and I wanna give us this disclaimer too, that I know so many of our stories, I can't give and I shouldn't give and I'm not going to try to give a pat answer to anyone who's experiencing complex issues, be it clinical anxiety, clinical depression and so forth that our stories are complex, our, our bodies themselves are complex. And so when we're talking about a shakenness, I'm not trying to give a, a 20 or 25-minute sermon and say, here, I got the answer for you. Because uh, that, what that does is reminds me of this old quote that I love, that for every complex problem, there is a solution that is simple and clear and wrong. And so I don't wanna mishandle your stories. I don't wanna mishandle the lives in this room and just say, here's the clear and simple answer because that would be wrong. But what I do wanna do and what I'm gonna try to do is observe and note some of the ways in which we feel or experience being shaken and then frame it in light of God's truth and the scripture that we're looking at in Psalm 125. Because I think what ends up happening is that our internal shakenness for really talking about it beyond the complex things that i'm trying to address right now but that our internal shakenness often stems we fear the unknown there's something that we can't necessarily control we can't know the the final resolution for how it's something about it that we say this outcome that exists whether it's it causing all the shakenness of my emotions or these relationships or this life circumstance and situation there's something unknown about it and it throws us off. It, it, it kicks us off this sense of centeredness or security that we're, we're being called to have in God. And, 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 in, and in this regard, I, I love knowing things because I don't like tension. I, you don't wanna watch like tense shows with me because I'll sit next to you reading on my phone what happens in the show because I gotta get out of it. Like It's, it's too much for me. Um, I did that, I, I didn't really like Stranger Things because it was too much for me. My heart is sensitive. But I sat there the entire time like watching the episode going, okay, I know what happens next, so I'm more comfortable with this situation right now. <laughs> um, and that's how I got out of it. But I think, I can, I can control that with a TV show, but we can't control that so often in life. That, that what is unknown is what actually s- shakes us so much because we, we don't know. And that, that unknownness and the unknownness of that outcome ends up throwing us off center and ends up shaking us. Um, when it comes to the idea of our emotions and, and being centered on God, I think that sometimes what ends up happening is we start forgetting God in the situation. And I want to I wanna share a story, and it'll make my point, I think. Uh, so buckle up with me. My name is Evan, and I don't like heights. Um, I used to not like public speaking, but I've gotten used to that. But I don't like heights. Um, if, if there are Christmas lights on our house, it's because my wife put them up. Um, partially because of the heights and the ladder thing, and partially because those things just frustrate me, and I want to have a good holiday season and not start it off that way. You know what I mean? They're tangled, they don't work. They do work, you put them up, they don't work. I'm, I'm, I'm a killjoy on that one. But I don't like heights. There's something about ladders. There's something about roofs. Like, you'll never see me on a roof, but if you did, it would probably be in the fetal position, curled up in a ball, like, just hanging on for dear life, even though it's, it's a perfectly fine roof, and it's a fine day. I just don't like heights. Anyone else not like heights? That's it. Oh, good. It's not just me. Okay. And, yeah, I went bungee jumping. Um, and I thought it was actually really fun. Um, back in college, there was this one day we were like, let's go bungee jumping. And there's a local place that had a private bridge 200 feet above a canyon and a river. Uh, and we jumped off. And I did it twice, um, once forward. And then they said, okay, you did that. You can do it backwards now. And that is trippy. But I went bungee jumping. I don't like heights, and yet I went bungee jumping. And it took me probably a decade of reflection trying to figure out why can why can those two things exist? Why can I not, like stand being on a roof, I, I literally start shaking and, t- and tense up. Or even this one time, this really threw me. I was on an airplane and I stood up in my seat and I was on a, w- a window seat and I looked out the airplane and I, I got like instant spinning, like vertigo. Like there was something about standing up and looking out of an airplane window, though I'm perfectly safe in the airplane, that just threw me. I, I just, I couldn't figure it out. And I went bunch of jumping and I was fine. And then finally I did all this reflective work and it came to me, there was else but me. There's an outside source of security that I'm leaning into and that I'm trusting in that moment and that that actually gives me the confidence to do something that I'm totally not able to do on myself. To experience a situation that would otherwise overcome me with a shakenness to say, no, I'm actually fine because ultimately I'm putting my trust in a steel bridge I'm putting my trust in these people who have done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Now, if they came to me and said, like, hey, we, we're doing this. It's a pilot jump. Do you want to be the pilot guy? like, no, I would not do that. But they had tested and did and the, the, I was trusting the ropes, and I was trusting the harness. And there were so many parts of that experience that none of it relied on me. The only thing I had to do was jump or fall off this little pedestal, and that was the success that I did. And everything else was up to something or someone outside of me. And I think that when it comes to us being shaken, God surrounds us, we are secure in him, and it comes to our emotions, we forget that so much of our security isn't dependent upon us. That us being internally unshaken comes by means of us learning to trust God's ability to keep and to hold and to surround us better than we can surround and keep and hold ourselves. That God can and is doing it better than we can, and that therefore then we lend him this trust. And this is what the psalmist is saying. When we read those verses again, one and two, I highlighted on these things, that trust is all over this. The people who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, never shaken, lasting forever. The psalmist isn't saying, you're good, you got it. You're, you, don't, you, you don't need anybody, you're on your own, you're set. You are strong enough in yourself. He is actually pivoting us. Those who trust in the Lord, those who look outside of themselves for the security of themselves and their situation are the ones who are like Mount Zion, never shaken. Because it doesn't depend on us. It's us depending upon God that it's in that reality that we can live in that way. And, and, and Eugene Peterson, a lot of the series, we're looking uh, as a guide to a book that he wrote called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He puts feelings like this, like even trusting our own feelings and knowing that, oh, is this a day that I can trust God or not, right? My discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God, not by how I feel about him or myself or my neighbors, our emotions don't determine God's truth. We are up and down, yet our security in God is steadfast. In those moments where you're going, this situation, it just throws me off center. My head starts spinning, my heart starts raising, my gut starts twisting. I just, I don't, I am anxious as can be. And in those moments, how much are we trusting in ourselves versus how much are we trusting in God? And I want to give allowance to say, yeah, there, there's an opportunity that we have gifts from God, that we have a personality that's bestowed upon us by God, that that is in our creative ourselves. We have talents, we have strengths, we have skills, we've gained experience and we have wisdom and so on and so forth and we mature into that. But there's part of saying, "I, I don't remember God in my situation, which is the pitfall on one side. And then there's another that says, I only rely on myself, which is the pitfall on the other. And it's the very definition of pride, actually. The the Bible talks against pride over and over, and it's because the biblical definition of pride is a dependence in ourselves. So somewhere between a shaking and a self-reliance is where God is calling us to trust him. That you're not shaken, it's not off-centered. I got you, and you don't rely on yourself. You've got me. I've got you, and you've got me. And this is the trust that God is calling us to. Not shaken, but firm and secure. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, God has got us. In the midst of an emotional shaking, I think there's relational and circumstantial shaking that ends up happening too. So when we look at relationships, I think there's insecurities that happen within relationships and they throw us off. Again, because of the unknown outcome. Um, I've already confessed to you that I don't like heights. Um, I also don't really like conflict. Um, I think maybe some of you are with me on that one. Um, But I also wasn't used to conflict growing up. My household was very peaceful. My parents always had this model of if they were going to get in an argument, they did it behind closed doors. Uh, Me and my brother fought, but we were also just brothers. Um, And, you know, like, I could never really beat him up because he was always a little stronger, but I could, like... You know, I gave him the middle finger one time, but that, like, I repented of that, okay? Um, but I wasn't that good at conflict, okay? That's what I'm saying, and I wasn't that used to it. But when I grew up into more adult relationships, what it also did in me, because I wasn't really around conflict that much, was I wasn't very good at it. I didn't know how to have a security in the relationships and in the the ups and downs and the disagreements and the conflict that existed, that the relationship could be steady even though the the momentary disagreement or situation wasn't really. Uh, And it wasn't until I got married that this actually started playing out in a really healthy way, I think, um, because uh, m- my wife, her-, her name is Karen, and she is amazing, and I'm pretty sure on one side of her family, father or mother's side, I don't really know which one, they're part descendant of mountain goats, Be- because they butt heads all the time, um, and they still do it, it hasn't changed, it's just their family way of doing it. But the thing that I observed, so I mean, imagine me, like I'm engaged or I'm the boyfriend and I'm almost engaged or I'm, I'm, I'm new in the family as a son-in-law and they just start butting heads and I'm not used to conflict. And so I would just kind of sit there and be like, what's going to happen? Like, what's the, fall, what's the fallout of this, right? And I was not secure in that moment. And then I noticed again and again and again that they could just keep doing that. I'm not prescribing that as a relationship style, by the way. So there's another disclaimer. I'm not saying do that. But what I am saying is, kudos, disagreement doesn't have to shake the core commitment of two people to one another. I think we're, we're in a season since, mm, let's just call it out, 2020, um, where this has been more of the case, that our disagreements and our differences end up shaking the commitment and and the the safety within a relationship that we have to one another. And that actually within that, I don't think that's very reflective of the way that our God and his commitment to us is represented in his people. But that actually, when we look at this, what we're calling to do, what we're going to try to do is lean in to the very model and image of God, the Lord, the Lord, steadfast in love and faithfulness to a thousand generations that we look at God to model this to us, even to the point of sending his son, even to the point of our redemption, and to say, whatever you've done, whatever bumps we come up to, and even the idea that Israel is the name of God's people, and that name is a blessing to them, and it literally means those who wrestle with God, that that is okay, that we are the people who wrestle, because what God is showing us is an example of a relational a, a relational dynamic that will not be shaken. His love for us, his commitment to us, his steadfast care and his pursuit of us is faithful and continuous and ongoing and it doesn't stop. And that it's out of that sort of model then, I think moderately within, modeled within my in-laws of like, you guys can get into this, but it doesn't change the way that you love one another. It doesn't degrade the commitment that you have to one another. That then we as God's people can look to the model of God and say, that's the way you love us. That's the way that I'm gonna love you. Nothing I do will shake your love for me. Okay, relationally, I'm secure. And then let's turn and live that out with one another. Nothing that this other person does to me, nothing that I'm doing, can we start experiencing that lived out with one another and therefore even living out the gospel message of love and forgiveness and patience and grace and mercy, that this is what God's given us, let's live that out with one another. And so can we emotionally and relationally experience ourselves so much in God that this becomes true, this Psalm becomes true to us? We are not shaken because my trust is not in myself, it's something greater, it's someone greater than myself, it's in God who is fully trustworthy. And my relationship is not on sifting sand. It's not fragile. It is secure because God has made it so because that's who he is. I think that turns us then to this last point that I wanna make that we have these internal emotional and these relational shakings but then there's this idea of situational shakings. This is verse three in Psalm 125. The wicked rod won't remain in the land given to the righteous so that they don't use their hands to do anything wrong. Lord, do good to people who are good, to people whose hearts are right. But as for those people who turn to their own twisted ways, may the Lord march them off with evildoers. He doesn't not address the circumstances and the situations around us externally. He actually very much addresses them. The the, the fact that we could look at this and go, okay, I'm shaken. uh, Okay, I'm secure. God loves me. I'm good relationships in the church. Okay, we're good. Okay, now we're looking outside in the rest of the world. Whoa, maybe not so good. And, and what God then do you do with that? What do you do with the evildoers? What do you do with the brokenness? What do you do with the fallen list? And what do you do with the hate and the injustice and all the things that we could list out and go, this seems like not the good and like true way of God. What do we do with this? Pain and loss, wrong, evil, injustice, they exist and we need to recognize that. And then we need to take that and put it in what the psalmist does in this psalm is the psalmist frames this discussion with time. And what I mean by time is that he looks not just at a situational moment to prove the trustworthiness and trueness and faithfulness and security that we have in God. He looks on an eternal timeline. Looking back to Psalm 125, the people who trust in the Lord their God are like Mount Zion never shaken, lasting forever. This is how the Lord surrounds his people from now until forever from now. The wicked rod won't remain in the land given to the righteous. There are so many scriptures that commend us to live into a timeline that is bigger than ourselves and our world. If I'm coming and saying your security is found not in yourself, but in trusting God, our security in looking at the problems of the world around us is not found in this moment that we're living in, but in the long arc of God's work in this world to say, God, you're putting us on an eternal timeline. You've saved us into eternal life. We need to start living into that. Second Peter addresses this when Peter is writing and says, God is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. God is not bound by the same time and timelines and time frames that we are. Rather, He creates us and He creates the idea of time, and then He is constant. I think of slowness sometimes in this, this, this verse. Uh, Lord of the Rings fans holler at me. Um, when, I, when you look at the ints, like the big talking trees that are so slow, and then they look and say, But you are very small, so maybe that makes sense. And there's just this difference when we're looking at God that his greatness and his vastness, his timeliness, is different than our timelines. We are minute. We are 70, 80, 90 years on a world that is much more vast and much more eternal in time frame than we are. God is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. This is also stated similarly in Psalm 16, which then the author of Acts, Luke, says in Acts 2, my body will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. That this idea of what we're living in now can have and remain secure and have hope because the grave is not the end. The grave is not the final word. It's not the final thing. The last enemy to be defeated shall be death. It's not final. It might be fatal, but it is not final. And God is inviting us into eternal life, which means we're living beyond our own deaths right now. We're living into something that timeline-wise is greater than that. Uh, Pastor, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talks about this when he has this phrase that some of you have heard. It's this quote, that God's arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice that even in, in his life, in his situation, the fights of injustice that he was fighting, he's looking at and saying, I'm fighting them now and recognizing the long arm of justice that God is bringing, that that timeline is long. And this was our New Testament reading, Second Corinthians four, starting in verse 17. Our temporary minor problems are producing an eternal stockpile of glory for us that is beyond all comparison. We don't focus on the things that can't be seen, but on the things that can't be seen. The things that can be seen don't last, but the things that can't be seen are eternal. There is a heaven. We cannot see it. There isn't an eternity. We're not there yet. We're living into it already, and it goes beyond our lives. It is not final on this life and in this time span. In essence, we're trusting him outside of ourselves, even for the injustices of this world and the shaken circumstances that we face knowing that in our lifetime or not, God is at work and God will work them out. And I think... (laughs) I think that this comes to a head in the example and the story of Jesus. I wanna invite Sarah to lead us to the table and and the worship team up, get in places. I, I just wanna explain the story of Jesus in the context of this eternal timeline. Because like I said in the beginning, and like we're gonna tease out through this whole thing, the Psalms of Ascent were sung by the Jews as they pilgrimed to Jerusalem, singing these songs, most commonly for feasts. One of those feasts every year that they would have gone to was the Passover feast. So I want you to use your prophetic imagination with me right now to imagine Jesus singing this song as he went up the hill to Jerusalem on his final Passover. And this isn't a stretch, y'all. Two-thirds of New Testament prophecies that are fulfilled, saying this was done to fulfill that which was said in the Old Testament, two-thirds of those references come from the Psalms. The Psalms is a highly prophetic book. the, The author in Acts, in Acts 2, is even saying David the prophet Not David the psalmist, David the prophet. And a lot of this is what Jesus is saying. These were written about him. So he himself, Jesus, trusting God beyond himself, trusting God in relationship, that God will be faithful, trusting the psalm of ascent. The one who, as he trusts in him, we are not shaken. And so he's singing this psalm, knowing that he's gonna have a Passover meal with his disciples that one of his close relationships is gonna betray him. That he's singing this Psalm, knowing that he's gonna be handed over to the guards and put to trial as an innocent and righteous man, but be judged and condemned to death on a cross. He's singing this Psalm, that the people who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, never shaken, lasting forever. Mountains surround Jerusalem. That's how the Lord surrounds his people from now until forever from now. Jesus is singing this psalm as he goes to the cross. And why can he sing it? Because his trust is greater than in someone than himself. It's in the Father God. This is Luke. This was our gospel reading. Luke 23, 46. Crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. I entrust my life to you. This isn't just a mere Jesus saying, all right, I'm done, I'm out, I finished it, mic drop, all you now. He's saying, God, I'm about to die and I trust you. I trust you beyond this lifeline. I trust you beyond this this world. I trust you beyond what I can see and what I know. I trust you. And when we come to the table today, that very faith in God's faithfulness That very trust and the God who is trustworthy is what we practice again. That we are secure like Mount Zion, never shaking, lasting forever, because God is faithful, because God has secured us, because Jesus has done everything and the Father did not abandon him to the grave, but raised him from the dead. We have this extreme example. And I love how the Psalm ends with this and I wanna end with this as we come to the table. Peace on Israel, peace on Israel. All the shakenness of this world, all the shakenness of our relationships, all the shakenness of our own emotions, the final word and our trust to God that he gives back to us is this peace. I wanna pray for you now as we come to the table. I wanna pray this Psalm over you. And then Sarah will lead us from there. So would you just open up your hands to receive this? I bless you, New Life Downtown, to trust in the Lord, to be like those who trust in the Lord, like Mount Zion, that you, that we would never be shaken, lasting forever. That mountains surround Jerusalem and that's how the Lord surrounds you from now until forever from now that the wicked rod won't remain in the land given to the righteous so that they don't use their hands to do anything wrong. So Lord, do good to people who are good, to people whose hearts are right. But as for those people who turn to their own twisted ways, may the Lord march them off. Peace be on Israel.
2: This is Jesus's table. All who believe in Jesus as the true king of the world are welcome to receive here, regardless of your church background or your affiliation. And if that doesn't describe you, thank you for coming today. We're honored that you're here. We invite you and encourage you to to keep coming, keep asking questions about Jesus But if you are ready to begin following Jesus, we invite you to join us as we come to the table, first confessing our sin, asking for forgiveness, and putting our trust in him, in Jesus, for salvation. The words will be on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. It's my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I'm saying them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you please stand, greet those around you, and share the peace of Christ with one another? As we come back together, the words will be on the screen. Friends, Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is. It is always a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, because you formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son, Jesus, to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was to be handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. After he had blessed it, he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. When you eat this, remember me. After the supper was over, he took the cup of wine and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so, God, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. This table is a place of remembrance. but It's also a place of encountering the living God. So let's sing this prayer together this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to meet us here. want to invite our servers to come up now. These are the gifts of God. They're given for us, the people of God. So as you receive them, receive them remembering that Jesus died for you and feed on him on your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. If this is your first time here, you can scan the QR code on the screen for instructions or you can just watch what everybody else is doing If you're unable to come forward, please ask someone around you to bring some elements to you. Now, let's worship together as we come to the table.